Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and education purposes only and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who help us create resources for a diverse audience. If you're moved by our mission and find our work valuable, please consider becoming an official patron. You'll keep the Full Bloom podcast going strong. And as a new benefit, patrons can submit their body-positive parenting questions to be answered on a future podcast episode in Season 3. Write in whatever body-positive parenting question is on your mind, and we will find a qualified researcher or expert to respond to your question on the show. Become a patron now by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 48. We're so excited to be joined by Dr. Karen Bluth, who's a mindfulness and self-compassion researcher and educator, and has also personally been a mindfulness practitioner for over 40 years. Wow. Aspirations. (laughs) Karen is an assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and her research focuses on the role of self-compassion and mindfulness in promoting well-being in youth. She co-created the curriculum Making Friends with Yourself, a mindful self-compassion program for teens, and authored the book The Self-Compassion Workbook for Teens, Mindfulness and Compassion Skills to Overcome Self-Criticism and Embrace Who You Are. Unfortunately, we had some moments of poor audio quality during this conversation, but in the spirit of self-compassion, we decided to share it, even in its imperfect form. We think Karen's wisdom as a researcher, educator, and personal practitioner of mindfulness still shines through, and we hope you agree. Karen, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. We're very happy to have you, and before we dig into all all of what you know and your research, could you start just by telling us a little bit about who you are and what brought you to the work that you do? Um, yeah, well, I am a self-compassion researcher, and I most of my research involves teens, although I do some research with adults as well. And I also teach self-compassion to adults and to teens. What brought me to this work is that I was an educator, a classroom teacher for a long time, and I saw how much teens in particular, but um, younger kids as well, really struggle with emotional well-being. And so I wanted to work with something that could help give them some tools to make that period of life a little bit easier. 
I can so relate, I mean, to that goal. Mm -hmm. Um, Just today, I was in the coffee shop and some of my local parenting friends were around and some of them have the tween age kids and they were just feeling that it was so hard. So I I think in general, it's a hard time. Our puberty episode is like by far the most popular episode, I think, because of this, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's it's so hard and so many parents have that question of what what can we do to help our kids? So you're a great person to ask these questions to and thank you for being so invested in doing that work and helping us find some answers. We we really wanted to start with just asking you what self-compassion is, what researchers and you mean by that and how it differs from self-esteem. Yeah, so there's an informal and a formal definition of self-compassion. The informal definition is treating yourself the way you would treat a good friend when they're struggling. And what we know is that we tend to treat our friends much better than treat ourselves when um, we're struggling or when we're having a hard time. We tend to um, be very supportive and kind to our good friends, but we tend to beat ourselves up a lot. That's the informal definition, and the more formal definition um, has three different components. And this is Kristen Neff's definition of self-compassion, and Kristen is the pioneer in this uh, research and self-compassion work. And so the three different components of self-compassion are first, mindfulness, and in this context, mindfulness is about having a balanced perspective. So in other words, when you're facing something difficult, when you're struggling, so let's say you've had a difficult conversation with uh, your kids, it didn't go well, you know, it ended up with uh, maybe you yelling and they're running out of the room. So rather than saying to yourself, I'm such a bad parent, Um, I shouldn't have yelled, I should have had a much better approach, rather than doing that, saying something kind to yourself, like, you know what, that wasn't my best moment. But having this awareness of what you're feeling and what you're experiencing in that moment. So having a balanced perspective and knowing that this isn't the end of the world just because this happened, just because you yelled. But also at the same time, it's not letting yourself off the hook. You know, you still have to be responsible for your behavior, obviously. So that's the first component of self-compassion is mindfulness or having a balanced perspective and being aware of what you're feeling um, in the moment that it's happening. The second component, <clears throat> excuse me, is common humanity. And common humanity is the understanding that what you're experiencing is part of the human condition. In other words, if you're experiencing anger or sadness or grief or loneliness, that this is normal. This is part of what it's like to be in a human body alive on this planet at this particular moment. Um, and often what we think, although that, that might sound um, really obvious, because we're often we're fed this message that from, from our culture, from our society, that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And if we're not happy all the time, we're doing something wrong. What we know is that it, when it's happening to us, we often tend to forget, we tend to forget that this is part of being human. We tend to think, well, I've done something wrong, I've messed up, I've made a mistake, rather than, you know what, this is a bad day. So we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to feel very isolated 
when something bad happens to us, rather than saying this is just part of the human condition. And the third component of self-compassion is self-kindness. So when something bad happens to us, we tend to judge ourselves, we tend to criticize ourselves. And being self-compassionate means, in this third component, is rather than doing that, is saying some kind words to yourself or doing something nice for yourself. So treating yourself the way that you would treat a good friend. So those are basically the uh, three components of self-compassion. You know, I'm realizing that the question we were asking, I think the way we've sort of seen it kind of come up in research is there's some ideas that self-compassion is actually more to the point than even self-esteem. And I mean, as you describe these sort of three tenets of self-compassion, it I mean, it just sounds very different than even what self-esteem is. But I'm curious, like, why, and, and this may kind of fold into this question about, like, what has the research found about the value of self-compassion, but why should we sort of be thinking that self-compassion is almost not more important, but like a more powerful thing to improve and target than even, like, our children's self-esteem or cultivating their self-esteem? Yeah, so both are ways of relating to yourself, but you're right, they're very different So self-esteem is founded on comparison, comparing yourself with others. So in other words, you might feel good about yourself if you feel like you do something a little bit better than somebody else. So for example, if our kids are acting out and we're somewhere in public and your friend's kids aren't acting out, you might have this feeling like, what am I doing wrong? I should be able to have some control over my kid's behavior or the reverse. It could be that your kids are really well behaved and uh, your friend's kids are really acting out. You might, so you might have this sense of positive self-esteem. Oh, you know, I've got it together here. I'm, you know, I'm a good parent. My kids are, you know, um, behaving themselves while this other parent's kids are acting out. So the point is that we get our self-esteem by comparing ourselves with others. One problem with that is that what we need more than anything is to feel connected with others. And by comparing ourselves with others, we're actually feeling either better or worse than others. But in either regard, we feel separate from others when what we really want and what we really need is this connection. So that's one problem. And the other problem is that we feel like we're not good enough unless we're above average. Mm -hmm. So if somebody told you, um, yeah, you're an average parent, you're an average mother, or you're an average father, that wouldn't feel so great. You know, you want to, we all want to be good parents above average. And obviously we can't be all above average in everything, right? So that's impossible. So that's one problem with self-esteem. And another problem with self-esteem is that when we really need to feel good about ourselves, so when something bad happens, we've had a bad day, something didn't go well, our self-esteem plummets. And we don't have the support uh, that we need unless we're self-compassionate. When we're self-compassionate, we can give ourselves the support that we need in the moment that we really need it when we're really feeling challenged. So those are that, that's the two different the, the differences between self-compassion and self-esteem. They're 
different ways of relating to ourselves. You know, they're both helpful, certainly, but what we're finding out is that self-compassion is there when we when we really need it most, and it's really effective in giving us the support that we need. Can you talk more about that, you know, about what the research has found in terms of the value of self-compassion? So there's been about 2,000 studies published on self-compassion since 2003, when Kristin Neff published several articles uh, finding self-compassion for uh, research, as well as publishing a scale that measured self-compassion. And what they show pretty conclusively is that there are strong inverse correlations between self-compassion and anxiety, depression, and, and stress in both adults and in youth. And what this means is that the more self-compassionate you are, the less you experience anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, and stress. Um, We also know, particularly in youth, that the more self-compassionate you are, the greater your resilience, happiness, and satisfaction with life, and also connection with others. And not just in youth. I did say particularly in youth. This is true also with adults. We also know that self-compassion acts as a buffer against the effects of things like um, bullying Mm -hmm. and early life uh, negative experiences like um, abuse and neglect, or even maladaptive perfectionism. So um, we know that that, uh, maladaptive perfectionism can lead to depression. And when uh, there are studies that have been published that show that when people are more self-compassionate, that they experience depression less with maladaptive perfectionism, for example. So self-compassion um, protects against the effects of these negative experiences. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes so much sense, just intuitively anyway, for me as I hear it. And this question, it maybe, I, maybe it speaks for itself, but can you talk about why self-compassion is particularly important for teens today? What we know from a number of reports uh, that have been put out by the American Psychological Association, that teens are more stressed now than ever before. Uh, And this is due during the academic year and also in the summer. We know that anxiety and depression have skyrocketed, particularly since the last decade, and that suicide uh, rates are up as well as suicide attempts. And so this is really, really important for us to intervene at this time and offer teens tools that will help them deal with some of these struggles. We don't know exactly why why they're so stressed. I mean, we have some ideas. There are a number of theories that are out there. I think overall it's more stressful for everybody, but teens don't have the tools that many adults have developed over the years. So let's talk about that. You know, as a parent, I'm listening and as a therapist, I'm listening and I'm asking the question, how do I help the young people in my practice, the young people in my life cultivate self-compassion? How do we how do we do this for them? How do we help them? Because our cultural message is so strong that we need to uh, beat ourselves up. We need to change ourselves. We need to improve ourselves in order to achieve, in order to be successful, what I think is most helpful is to intervene with courses that are offered for 
parent and for um, teens on compassion. There are also some books out there. And I think that's the best way because we need a very strong message to counteract this message that we get from our culture. So I really think that's the best way. We offer different courses for both adults and for teens. That's probably the best and then also books. And can you give us a little like sneak peek into what happens inside the courses? Sure. Well, we teach um, specific tools on how to be kind to yourself. So some of these are guided meditations. Uh, some are things that what we call formal meditations or uh, formal practices where we set aside a little bit of time each day to do them. What we find that are most helpful though, are the informal practices, which you can do in the moment. So somebody says something to you and it, that upsets you, that angers you, and you can go right into this practice. And in that moment, it's very helpful. So uh, those are some of the things that we teach during the classes. We also, of course, go through the uh, what self-compassion means and what it's all about and why it's important. So we, we answer those questions also about some yeah. of the misconceptions. I think that the misconceptions abound for sure. I notice when I introduce self-compassion just in my own practice to clients that there's often a skepticism. It's like I notice that there's also a, oh, wow, like I could talk to myself very differently. And, and there seems to be often a willingness. And I often see people willing to embrace this sort of new new approach. But yeah, that initial response like, well, if I – if I'm kind to myself, like, isn't that kind of like giving up or letting myself off the hook? Or I'm aware that self-compassion lessons in and of themselves do challenge a lot of sort of the status quo. And I know you you referenced kind of like the cultural misconceptions about how we should really be talking to ourselves. But can you share any more specifics about those common misconceptions and even fears about embracing self-compassion? Sure. And, you know, as you said, yes, there are definitely fears about um, embracing self-compassion. So for example, I taught a group of teens that were hospitalized for eating disorders in the hospital a couple of years ago. And one thing that came out of that, at the end, I talked to the teens about their experience and what they learned. And one of the things I remember that one of the teens said to me was that it was really eye-opening, that she had no idea that she didn't have to beat herself up in order to be successful. So one of the big misconceptions that we encounter when we teach self-compassion is that successful, I have to beat myself up that it will undermine my motivation, that if I'm kind to myself, then I'm going to end up like this blob on the couch eating chocolate all day long, you know, and watching Netflix. And um, what we know is that's not true. In fact, the opposite is true. And we have research studies to show that the opposite is true, is that when we're kinder to ourselves, when we're more self-compassionate, that we're more motivated to try hard, to take on new tasks. And the research is that we don't have the same fear of failure. Normally, you know, we have a certain amount of fear of failure trying new things. Sometimes it's a little and sometimes it's a lot. But when we're self-compassionate, we have less of that fear of failure. So we're more willing to try new things. 
But being kind to yourself does not mean letting yourself off the hook. And I want to make sure to make that clear that we're still have to be responsible for our behavior. And that if we make a mistake, if we hurt somebody's feelings, we still have to apologize and take responsibility for our behavior. And what we know is that people who are more self-compassionate are more willing to apologize and take responsibility for their behavior because they know it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It means they made a mistake, yes, but it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. And there's a, you know, a, a really significant difference there between those two things. You know, so they say, yeah, I did something wrong. I made a mistake, but you know, I can apologize. I can make amends and I'm, I'm still a good person. So yeah, so these are some of the misconceptions that, you know, it'll undermine motivation, that it's making excuses for yourself, that it's selfish or self-indulgent. But what we know from research studies is that um, this isn't true, that people are self-compassionate, take better care of themselves, that they go to the doctor when they need to, that they exercise more regularly. So it's not self-indulgent. It's not about self-pity. Yeah, I can see the real connection between particularly with teens um, and with with kind of body positivity and prevention of eating disorders where there's kind of that that setback or that challenge where you mentioned before there's this kind of dip in self-esteem that a lot of times if and most of the time I think when there isn't self-compassion there which it doesn't seem I don't know when, what your research shows but my assumption is that it's pretty low in across the board in our population in teens population I'm not sure but that in that moment when there's a challenge like a bullying situation or just a challenge and self-esteem plummets that this is when in kids particularly around body image they start to reach for that to rebuild their self-esteem versus reach for self-compassion and you know, end up falling into disordered eating or body dissatisfaction versus if there was this component of self-compassion, we may be able to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, one way we think about self-compassion is like it's a good parent. It's a healthy parent. You're taking care of yourself, you know, um, just the way, you know, a good parent would take care of their child. You're doing that for yourself. You're taking care of yourself in that way. Self-compassion is referred to as social support turned inward. You're supporting yourself. You're, you're caring for yourself. So, But we have to learn how to do this because we're not taught this growing up. We're taught to be kind to others, to take care of others. We're not taught to take care of ourselves in that way. You know, physically maybe, but not emotionally. So it seems... In, in this day and age, really, that we have to learn how to do that ourselves. I, I think what I appreciate about it, as you've introduced it to us today, though it may be complicated in that there's a lot of sort of unlearning to do and that embracing meditations and practices that the courses offer is obviously a, an, an investment of time, that in reality, self-compassion, going back to those three tenets you shared, it's pretty basic. There are sort of rules to follow to help us um, embrace a more self-compassionate way of relating. And yes, it, I mean, it obviously takes work to transition to this if this feels very like new. But I do feel like 
it's doable. Like you, I like the, there's a kind of simple frame to, to follow. Um, yeah, that's true. And, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily say it takes work. I know I was, you know, I was saying that, you know, we get this really strong message from our culture that, and, and we have to counteract that message. But once we get it, you know, once we get the, you know, we don't resist, we let go of the resistance of, oh, I have to beat myself up. And we open to the idea of, oh, I don't have to beat myself up. I don't have to do this. Once we get that, it's like a light switch. It's like, oh, I don't have to do this. You know, it's a letting go of this idea. And once that happens, it's, it's actually quite easy. I have found that, um, because being nice to yourself is a whole lot easier than being mean to yourself, you know? And so it's not like you have to put in all this work over this long period of time. So we're uh, very grateful for this uh, opportunity to talk to you. And just before we close, we'd like to ask you what we ask all of our guests. If each parent listening to this podcast took away and did just one thing on the regular, what's the one thing you would recommend they do to help their children fully bloom? Yeah, um, it's a really wonderful question. And what I what I would say is to practice self-compassion themselves. Well, we'll make sure to include links to your books and your course. So if people want to want to start practicing themselves they can yeah but this was a great little sampler um so thank you karen for joining us well thanks so much it's been my pleasure so zoe what are your main takeaways from this one I really love self-compassion or the idea of it, and I, I particularly love it as an alternative to thinking about self-esteem. You know, raising kids with good self-esteem has been sort of one of the like tenets of our project even, but I love this idea of shifting away from helping your kid build self-esteem, which I, I appreciated what she said, how it, that really kind of hinges on comparing yourself to others which we know can be such a problem and, you know, inviting self-compassion to be one of our fundamental body positive parenting skills. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a very important episode for us in particular, and hopefully our listeners felt that way as well. I feel like it brings so much together in terms of the vulnerability of feeling bad about yourself, which there's always that moment in in kids' lives. And I think about my work and with all of the kids and adults who had a moment who really can almost track down the moment, even though that probably wasn't the only moment. But the risk factor was this kind of gap in being able to be self-compassionate. And what if our kids had that? Wouldn't that just build such a resilient person mm-hmm. to be able to not turn to some of the things that cause problems, you know, Mm -hmm. particularly with body image and uh, eating. Mm -hmm. But one of the other things that you reminded me of was, and she reminded me of, was in reading more deeper into Ellen Satter's work, she really talks a lot about the need for really strong social skills for kids who are in larger bodies or who are outside of average 
And so did in our thin ideal episode, so did Eric Stice reference that what they're seeing in the cascade of risk factors is actually first kind of the social skills risk mm-hmm. factor. And that self-compassion is a way to really shore up the response to making a mistake, having an insult thrown at you, mm-hmm. um, and not turning to something else to make yourself feel good, but rather just turning to yourself to be compassionate yeah. about your human nature, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought about that as well. And, you know, these things all go together because if we think about kids that are are different from the average or like in the case of what you're talking about, kids in larger bodies who are more... Maybe not even from the average, from the ideal. I think, I think that think is probably more. more. I mean, well, from the ideal, but I think also, and this kind of connects to what I was thinking about, I think it's okay to use the word average because if you think about like average shapes and sizes that you see in whatever community you're in, right, you know, it's not always the ideal that is the problem, but rather being or feeling on the margin of whatever that average is, right? So if you are a kid in a larger body, if you have a kid in a larger body, it's possible that they're in the minority, that it's not, you know, maybe you got lucky and there's a a huge amount of size diversity in your class. I'm thinking about school. But that's not always the reported experience. That idea that I'm other or I'm something wrong with me, it's not just reinforced by ideals, but rather reinforced by what you're seeing. And if there's something different about you, it's very easy for kids and adults to experience that as well I'm different than the what, the sort of norm that I see. Therefore, there must be something wrong with me. And hopefully you have like body positive parents at home telling you that that's ridiculous, you know, and that we all come in different shapes and sizes, et cetera. But it's certainly not like, oh, self-compassion is the magic bullet because you also like kids that are in larger bodies or just any kind of difference, we we all need to see ourselves represented. Like it is actually just really hard to feel other or yeah. to feel like the only one. That's very basic. So I just think about how these things in concert can act really well. Like if you can also increase like that representation. So kids in larger bodies can see themselves reflected on TV or in in their friend groups, right? And also developing these skills that we're talking about today, those things coming together could be could be really powerful, you know, and just to be able to have this sort of muscle memory that, oh, when I feel bad, I can be kind, I, I can to, be myself. kind to myself and not internalize um, like bullying, for example. Yeah, I think I'm I'm going to jump on the self-compassion bandwagon for a little while and play around with um, some of Karen's resources and just see. I can really relate to this kind of perfectionistic side and how what she was saying around working with people who have perfectionism, which is also a risk factor for disordered eating um, and poor body image, you know, that there is this fear of being kind to themselves, almost like that's the engine that drives them is to be hard. And I'm, I'm just, I'm curious to play around with it myself because I have some of those tendencies and I think it will, I think it will be nice to see how that interacts with my parenting and also with my 
my professionally, mm -hmm. you know, with my clients. Yeah. Because I, I know they could all use a dose of oh, self-compassion for sure. Totally. I, I know we, we talked about it when we were on with Karen, but it's, it's not always an easy sell at first because people are. It's like a paradigm shift. I'm going to also join you on the bandwagon. And I also want to kind of sniff out where, if at all, self-compassion is coming up in like the curriculum at my kids' schools because, um, unfortunately, I think the quality of the audio was scrambling. Not It wasn't great when she was trying to talk about, um, like, how they're trying to get it into schools. But I did hear her talking a little bit about um, the need to get self-compassion just into basic education, right? Like, basic schools, because that's where, that's where kids are um, so much of the time. So I, I would be curious to know even if, like, the school psychologist or the health educator in our, in our schools are even aware that there's this sort of compelling research around self-compassion sort of being the point over building self-esteem. And I would encourage parents listening to check it out too, right? Like just if you want to know. Yeah. Great. That's, well, our, that's show. our show. Yes. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode, so please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more new people can find the podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our podcasts and visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon so that we can keep producing and delivering this content to you. Thank you all for listening. And remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom.